think we can all agree that's a prayer that we all want to pray and to live out and that we leave it all laying on the ground we leave it all laying on the ball field when we get done last night we were praying here and there's so many people in our congregation that are struggling with cancer and I was telling the church last night as we were praying that times like this where there's just so many people sick this influenza that's been going around and the flu and the cancer and just a host of other needs just trying to pray through them all last night was was a huge moment and move when you try to bear people up in their grief and their pain but there's something we know for sure that God hears and answers our prayers when we gather for prayer on Saturday nights we're doing intercessory prayer we're not taking our needs but we're taking the needs of others and the people who come and kneel walk they're lifting up the needs of other people and loving them and caring for them and praying for them and this is this is good and right in the sight of the Lord we're doing supplicatory prayer where as we pray we're beseeching the Father in faith and asking God to to intervene to work in their lives we're praying healing prayers we're praying because we believe that what Jesus did at Calvary by his stripes we are healed and that the same Jesus who healed sick people when he walked the face of this planet is still the same Jesus that heals today and there's some of you and this room that God has healed you you know that there are people that we're praying for now that I believe God is healing we're worshiping and I could just go on with the kind of prayers that are being prayed and you say pastor why are you telling us that because I cannot begin to overemphasize how important it is not just for you to pray privately but for us to pray corporately as a church last night we had one of our newer members join us for prayer and she was telling me how much it meant to her she says I've never really known how to pray she says I get frustrated with myself because I say the same things over and over and I said well you know God's always pleased with your praying but we just very specifically target things and try to lead people and teach them how to pray. There's more to this life than what you and I have experienced. Let me say it again. There's more to this life than what you and I have experienced. There's more to faith and there's more to grace. And you don't have to be weird. I think sometimes when we start talking about things like this, people get frightened because of some of the weird things that they've seen on television God is not impressed by your weirdness God is impressed by your faith and your sincerity in coming to him can you say amen to that and so I just want to encourage you especially in light of what Maggie was singing that it's so vital God is there God is real God is almighty we don't serve a little bitty plastic Jesus sitting on our dashboards we serve a great, big, wonderful, loving God. Amen? Yeah. 
Let's give him a hand of praise. Would you do that? Hallelujah. So if you would, stand with me this morning, because in light of what I just shared, and I hadn't planned to share that, I didn't share it in the first service, but if there's anything that I am fully, fully persuaded of, along with the fact that by grace we've been saved, I'm fully persuaded that until God is finished, and I want you to listen carefully, until God is finished with your life, until God is finished with his purposes in your life, you have the potential of being invincible. You have the potential of being indestructible until God is finished. If I die today, if for some reason I was to drop dead of a heart attack, or if I was to have an automobile accident and Becky and I died in an automobile accident today, don't think for one moment that that was failure. Because when God is finished with us, I want to go home. And until God's purposes are finished in my life, you and I have the potential of walking and living a life where we're invincible. I remember watching a movie with my kids one time and the little cartoon character just screamed out, I'm invincible, and then splat. He was all splattered all across the screen and we laughed. I've seen other movies where somebody has said that and I was really fearful and I, I was praying about this and I said, Lord, I'm really fearful of standing up and saying that because cartoon images or movie character images may come to people's minds. But I want to tell you, until God's purpose is finished in your life, you are invincible. If you choose to follow Christ. I want to read you a, just a brief passage about a man who was invincible and led a tremendous revival, but then at the midpoint of his life, he decided that his success was enough. He decided that he'd gotten there on his own and he quit following the Lord and his life ended up a tragedy. You see, as long as you seek the Lord, you are invincible. As long as you follow the Lord, you're invincible. You've heard me say this before. I say it often because I want you to remember it. I don't want to live 15 seconds outside the will of God. That's a frightening way to live to me. I want to live right in the center, in the middle of God's amazing grace. Amen? So listen to this short story, and I hope you'll go home. You can read more about this in 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings as well. As Ahiah's sister, Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, took Azaziah's infant son, Joash. Now, if you were here Wednesday night, we're going through the book of Revelation, and we talked for just a minute about Jezebel and how that she had a predecessor in the Old Testament called Jezebel that was a wicked demonically inspired king. She must have been beautiful. She was charismatic. She was powerful. She was so powerful that she even made the great prophet Elijah tremble. And yet she was a very wicked and evil woman and, you know, had people murdered, led Israel astray into idol worship. Her daughter, she had her daughter married off to the king of Judah. And she's the enemy is trying to destroy the messianic line. And so in trying to do so, Jezebel's daughter is murdering all the king's babies because she's gotten control of the kingdom because she wants it for herself. And you need to understand something. 
The enemy wants the anointing upon your life. The enemy of your soul wants God's blessings upon your life. The enemy of your soul wants your family. He wants your marriage. He wants you. He wants everything about you. And he will rob, steal, and kill, and destroy to try and get that. And so what you're seeing here is an Old Testament story that has a lot of impact on her life. But Jehoshaphat, she took Azaziah, who'd already the king, he'd been slain. She took his infant son Joash and stole him away from among the rest of the king's children who were about to be killed. And she put Joash and his nurse in a bedroom. And in this way, Jehoshaphat, the wife of Jehoiada, she was the pastor's wife, the priest and the sister of Azahiah hid the child so that Athaliah could not murder him. Lord, I'm asking you in the name of Jesus that you'll help us to understand how grace makes us invincible. God, I pray that you'll help us to see the difference between temporal success and eternal success. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to see that the life you've called us to is not just for the days we live upon this planet, but it's for now and all eternity. And I pray, Holy Spirit, help us to see that grace is amazing, that grace is good, that grace is loving and tender, but grace is not always gentle. For it was grace that taught my heart to fear. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. And I pray that we will walk in the fear and the holiness of the Lord always. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. I want to tell you the story and take a little time with the story and a little more time with the first point and then just kind of break it up in some points that I hope will help you in your life and in your living. The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles that chapter 24 and verse 2 that, that Joash really got started on the right foot. He was raised by Jehoiada. He was mentored by Jehoiada and he's the high priest. He was mentored by him, and as long as he served the Lord, God caused everything he do to prosper. As a matter of fact, an incredible, a powerful revival happened under the leadership of Joash as he partnered with his pastor, his spiritual mentor, the high priest, as he partnered with Jehoiada. The temple was restored. Temple worship was restored. It was no matter just of a point of people just coming and offering sacrifices, but people's heart was in the worship. Their, their hearts were in the songs they were singing. Their hearts were offering the sacrifices for the right reason. But as soon as Jehoiada died, Joash's spiritual life took a nosedive, and he began listening to other counselors, and he began listening to other mentors. And I can't begin to stress to you how important it is that you choose carefully who you listen to. How important it is that you choose carefully what you allow into your life and that you allow into your heart. We need people. I need people who help me live the Christian life. I need people who speak into my heart and speak into my heart with honesty and correction. It's why I have prayer partners and people that walk with me and pastors that I work with and board members that I love and cherish their friendship. Yesterday, one of our board members said to me in a board meeting, brought something to my attention, and just as soon as he said it, it was a good word, he said to me, he says, Pastor, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm wagging my finger at you. And I said, of course not. It's what I want you to do, because anybody worth their salt takes 
any advice or correction that helps them to become a better leader. And I appreciated his heart, but at that moment I knew you, you had to say, all of us, we need people that speak into our hearts. Because if we don't, there's a key word that you'll read about in 2 Chronicles chapter 24 and verse 15 through 18, that Joash forsook the Lord. Everything looked right. Everything looked good. The temple was in order. The services were happening. Jehoiada had died, but because he began listening to other people, other mentors, they began to lead him astray. And this man who had led a revival suddenly begins to lead the children of Israel back into idolatry and back into paganism. Again, the Asherah poles. And Asherah was a Canaanite fertility goddess. So all kinds of, of horrible things took place. Anywhere we find these fertility goddess things, archaeological digs will dig up mass graves of babies that were sacrificed to these gods and the sexual orgies that took place around them. Sometimes it reminds me of modern American culture where we count children as a liability rather than an asset. It reminds me of what happened in Congress just a few weeks ago when our Congress decided that there wasn't enough Democrats and enough Republicans to agree that when a, a, a baby in the womb can feel pain that that baby should not be aborted. And even though it's plain scientific fact that that baby can feel pain, that baby has emotions, there still was such pressure from the feminist lobby, such pressure that we want to protect reproductive rights and abortion rights, that you couldn't get enough Republicans and enough Democrats to vote against that. When there are pro-life Democrats and pro-life Republicans, we need to understand that this continual sacrifice of the unborn children, especially when we know they can feel pain, it's wrong, it's immoral, it's evil, and we need a national cleansing from that. We need that. We need that. And Jehoiada, who had been saved by Jehoshaphat, the wife of the, the Jehoiada who had been saved and raised and cared for, he led his nation right back into that same sort of God-forsaken type of religion and God-forsaken type of worship. And the lesson that I take away from this is that the idolatry always lurks close in our hearts. Idolatry can always just seeking to get a hold of my heart, to get a hold of your heart, to lead us to go in a way other than what God has called us to do. I remember watching the movie Rocky. Aren't there some great classic movies that just won't ever go away? I can't tell you how many sermons I've illustrated with Rocky. I thank God for Rocky Balboa, okay? But anyway, I think one of the best definitions I ever heard of from about an idol was that when Rocky told his girlfriend, I have to go the distance or else I'm nothing but a bum. And you see, anytime you say, I have to do this, I have to have this, or I'm nothing but a bum, anytime you think your life is complete without anything but Jesus Christ, you you have created an idol. I love my wife, but my wife isn't the one that made me happy. My wife isn't the one that saved me. I love to be a pastor, but a pastor being a pastor is not what makes me happy. Whatever it is in your life, there's only one thing that can make you free and save you from your sins and bring joy and happiness and peace into your heart, and his name is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Well, give him a hand of praise this morning. So that little definition for me, it helps me to always clear things away. 
This morning, I, I've had a really busy, busy week, short nights and long days, all just running all week long. And I got up this morning, my usual time, I got up about 4.15, and I went downstairs and made the coffee and grabbed my Bible, had my devotions, and was just looking over everything, getting ready. And about 6.30 this morning, I got so sleepy, I couldn't get my eyes, keep my eyes open. So I told Becky, I said, I'm setting my alarm for 22 minutes. That'll keep me from going into a deep sleep. But if I don't wake up, be sure I wake back up so I can be at church to preach this morning. So I lay down at 6.30. All of a sudden, an alarm clock goes off. It's Becky's alarm. She goes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she turns it off. All of a sudden, another alarm clock goes off on something else she had set. And she, she shuts it off. And then all of a sudden, mine goes off. And I went, God, why did I even lay down this morning? You see, the Lord was giving me a wake-up call because he knows me. When I works, I works hard. When I play, I plays hard. When I sleeps, I sleeps hard. And so I had all these wake-up calls around me this morning, and God sent some wake-up calls into Joash's life. He sent people, he sent prophets to him. One of those prophets' name was the son of Jehoiada was the son of the man who saved his life, the son of the man who rescued him, the son of the man who mentored him and taught him. His name was Zechariah. And when Zechariah confronted Joash with his sin and what he was doing to his nation, you would have thought that like David, Joash would have repented. You would have thought like David, he would have turned from his sins. But instead, he shoots the messenger. He stones the messenger. He stones Zechariah. And if you remember from the Old Testament, when you stone somebody, you had to stone them outside the city, lest the city be unclean. And he stoned him in the temple, which made the, the house of God unclean. It made the city unclean. He stoned Zechariah. And this was such a tragedy. Some of you who've read your New Testament over and over, you will remember when Jesus talked about Jerusalem who stoneth the prophets and killed Zechariah. This is the story he was referring to and killed Zechariah between the porch and between the altar. You see, God sends wake-up calls into our lives. We're working too much. We're not being with our family. We're not spending time with our wife. We're not worshiping the Lord. We're not having family devotions. Or maybe we're, God sends these wake-up calls into our life and says, you're putting success ahead of everything else. And why are you doing that? Because if I don't achieve this, if I don't get that raise, if I don't get that job, if I don't get this position, if I don't provide this for my family, then I'm nothing but a bum. You see, that's what makes grace so amazing. It's because everything I have need of, I find in Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible tells me God is gracious. God is a God of grace and great graciousness in our lives. Grace is in the opening chapter of Genesis. Grace is in the middle of the book of the, of the Bible and the book of Psalms. Grace is in the closing chapter of Revelation. God is a gracious God. God's grace to me, God's grace to you is what saved us from our sins and gave us a purpose and a meaning in life. Ever since I was a little boy, I've loved biographies of successful people, men and women, 
I can remember reading about Clara Barton, Andrew Jackson, George Washington. I, you know, I used to have to take, growing up into my teenage years, I had to take an enema through the side of my stomach every day. And it took, it was a long, progressive time. And as I lay over a toilet, I would read these books and I would read these stories and I would read stories of faith that my mother and father would get me and it built my faith. It built me during those times when I couldn't run, when I couldn't walk, when I couldn't do anything, when, you know, my body basically was just not well and not healthy. God in that time of distress was building my faith and building me. I didn't realize it at the time. I resented it. I hated it, but God was building my life. But I would read about all these great things. I remember reading about Dwight Eisenhower and how he built such big muscles working in an ice house in Kansas and, and how it helped prepare him for becoming the commander in chief and, and becoming our president. And I can remember looking at my dad and my cousins and all of my cousins and my dad, they're, they're just muscled up and they're ripped and they're hard workers and they're farmers and I was anything but like them. But God was doing something different in my life and I can still feel my dad's rough hands laying on me at night, praying for God to heal me, praying for God to work in my life. And it took a long time. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm standing here today still a puzzle to doctors because God is a God of amazing grace, not only saving our souls, but healing our bodies as well. But here's what I learned about success from that. As I've read so many of these books about people who were so successful, probably one of the most meaningful books I've read in the last few years was the biography that Walter Isaacson did of Steve Jobs. And I got to tell you, I'm really grateful for Steve Jobs. Here was a man with 360 patents. Here was a man who started a company called Apple. Here was a man that got fired from the company he was started and he came back and restarted the company. Here was a man that gave us iPhones, iPads, Macintosh computers, iPods. Here was a man that gave us Pixar movies. And I will admit it to you, I still like to watch Pixar movies. Here was a man that I'm grateful was alive in my lifetime and I got to enjoy all of the creative gifts that he has given us. And even though he was uber successful, if you die without Jesus Christ, you have not been invincible because we will all pass through the gates of death. And the thing that makes a difference for all of us is whether or not the blood of Jesus Christ covers our lives. And you may think you're a bomb unless you get this done. And Jobs was a driven man. Jobs was a difficult man to get along with. But Jobs made technology cool. Jobs made technology elegant. Jobs made technology accessible to people like me who don't have the nerdy kind of brain that loves programming. Jobs made it all successful for us. But if you die without Jesus Christ, Jesus says, what has it gained you? If you somehow or another capture the world's attention, if you somehow or another garner all the world's wealth, if somehow or another you die as one of the most memorable people in the world and you lose your own soul, what has it gained you? What has it profited you? And I know here at our church we are blessed with some very successful people. And I know here at our church that there are people that will tell you in a New York Minute they're not successful because they're talented. They're not successful because they're skilled. They're not successful because they're intelligent. They're successful because of God's amazing grace to them. 
And it's not, don't get me wrong when, I, when I'm talking about this. None of them feel like they would be anything if it wasn't for Jesus. You see, God can use your success. God can use your gifts. God can use your talents. God can use your wisdom. God can use your knowledge if you recognize, first of all, you need Jesus more than anything. The Bible says, listen, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. My dad got angry with me once when I was a teenager and I quoted that verse of scripture to him. Not a good idea. (laughs) Not a good idea. That was the day I discovered my daddy was not God. (laughs) I feared him as much as I feared God. But he is slow to anger. He's rich in love. But read that first, that first section with me. He's gracious and compassionate. What is grace? When I was in college and taking an introductory theology class, we talked about grace, and our professor was explaining grace with what I thought was a very sterile definition. Grace is God's unmerited favor. And that's a correct technical definition. But I remember talking to my professor afterwards and saying, that is such a sterile definition. That doesn't excite me like singing Amazing Grace. Don't you love that song? It's the most sung song in the whole wide world. It's, It's incredible. And yet, he challenged me that day. Something was really good. He says, well, Dennis, study the word grace, and you come up with a better definition. And it set me, you know, for years just working on that. And as I studied it, I got to tell you, one of the best illustrations I came across of the word grace is, is from Greek mythology because Greeks, the word grace, charis, it's the Greek word, the Greeks said that grace was when somebody came along who was stronger and picked up someone that was weak or needy and carried them. Someone who came along and picked up someone that was broken and nursed them back to health. Grace said that someone came along who had the resources to help somebody who couldn't help themselves and so they would pick them up and they would carry them and the more I read and I have thought on that story I want to tell you grace is when God came into this broken weak needy man's life who could not save himself who could not heal himself who could not find a purpose for his life who wondered why he was alive and did not want to live grace came along and picked this man up saved me healed me gave me a purpose for living ladies and gentlemen Gentlemen, if you ask me if God is my crutch, I will tell you, no, he's not my crutch. He carries me day by day. He supports me day by day. I am not a self-made man. I need Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior this morning. (laughs) Hallelujah. And don't let the damnable pride that comes along that would say to you, you don't need God as a crutch. I want to tell you, you need God more than anything else in this whole wide world. If you didn't need him, he wouldn't have sent Jesus Christ to save you. Listen to this list of words and see if any of them characterizes what takes place in your life or in your heart from time to time. Pride, judgmentalism, cold-hearted, apathetic, greedy, envious, lustful, unfaithful, deceitful, promise breaker, cruel, Cowardly, stubborn, self-centered, careless, careless, joyless, complaining, loveless. I could keep going on with those negative kinds of words. But I can promise you that every one of us just now, something happened in our heart and says, yes, that idol lurks close within my heart. The only thing that protects us, the only thing that makes us invincible is pursuing the purposes of God.
And unlike Hezekiah, Joash decided to quit pursuing the Lord and ended up being murdered by the own people that supported him in his own bed. And I want to tell you, as long as Hezekiah sought the Lord, God caused him to prosper. As long as Joash sought the Lord, God caused him to prosper. And as long as you and I will seek the Lord, God will cause us to prosper and be successful in everything we do. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? It's not bad to succeed. It's not bad to want to win. It's not bad to be smart or talented. But what's bad is when you try to do that to save yourself. And you say, boy, I don't like that word bad, Pastor. Can't you think of another way to say it? No. It's bad. Say it with me. It's bad. And there will come a time in every man and woman's life when they'll understand the truth of that. When we stand before Christ our Lord. You see, when I'm trying to be good enough... I overwork myself. When I'm trying to be good enough, I neglect my family. When I'm trying to earn other people's favor or other people's approval, I get so focused on myself and upon being successful that I forget to pray and seek the Lord. And when you forget to pray and seek the Lord, then the idolatry of your heart begins to creep up. And what makes you successful is not the smile of God, it's the winning, it's the gaining. It's the success that you think without it that you're a bum. Romans chapter 3 and verse 24, the Bible says, God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. You mean it's free? You mean grace is free? I don't have to do anything. I don't have to save myself. No, you can't save yourself. That's the good news of the gospel. I can't save myself. We all want to be saved. We all want to be free. We all want to go to heaven. And somehow or another in our culture today, we've deceived ourselves into thinking that we can save ourselves without God. Ladies and gentlemen, look around at our nation and read your newspapers. Listen carefully. America is not getting better without God. Europe is not getting better without God. The world is not getting more peaceful without God. We need a revival again. We need a revival. There are more wars going on today historically than ever before. There are so many diseases going on ever before. We need God. Grace is good, but grace is not always soft and tender. I stood outside of a bar. St. Patrick's Day was yesterday. We used to do a St. Patrick's Day outreach in Savannah. Savannah has the second largest St. Patrick's Day party and parade in the nation. Boston is number one, Savannah's number two. Vice President Pence was there yesterday and I began an outreach there and we actually replanted a church out of that. But I can remember when we would be out, we would be picking up students who were too drunk to get home safely. We'd get them back. You know, we were getting kids off the street. We, the mayor and the, the police welcomed us in there. We were allowed to share the gospel. We built stages and provided free concerts. We'd give a one-point, one-illustration message during those concerts and right there on Broad Street and, on, and right there on the Savannah River, and it was so much fun. We saw people come to know Christ. I, I remember one night a, a pastor's son, and a of God pastor's son from Ohio that I had the privilege of preaching to the church later. 
came and gave his heart to Christ and went back home, dropped out of college and went back home to get his life straightened up. God did some amazing things. But here's something that really stood out to me. And I've written about this before for a magazine. We stood outside of bars like Spanky where we got permission to build our stages and we do these concerts and things. And, but every time we sang Amazing Grace, it didn't matter where people were from, who they were, how drunk they were or how sober they were, people would sing Amazing Grace with us. They knew that song. And sometimes when we get to that line, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. You'd see people start crying. And grace, my fears relieved. How precious did that grace first appear the hour I first believed. And you see, you got to stop for a moment and go, why did John Newton write those words? It taught my heart to fear. Newton was a hard man. Newton was a difficult man. Newton was a slave trader. Newton was a man who was abusive to men and women. Newton was a man who would take slaves during a storm in order to lighten the ship and throw them overboard during the storm, screaming for their lives, and he would toss them over the side. He was a godless man. But somewhere there were people praying, and when John Newton heard the gospel and was marvelously born again, John Newton became one of the activists to shut down the slave trade in Great Britain. And John Newton wrote the words to this song, went on to pastor a church and just be such an example in England. Never hid, never covered his sins, never tried to, to make excuses for them, wept and repented to the end of his days. You see, grace is amazing. But if we'll let grace, grace will always search our hearts so that there's no idol that leads us to the end of our lives destroyed like Joash did. Grace means that no one is hopeless because God reaches down and he takes a man like Newton and he changes his life. God reaches down and takes a man like Newton who has callously murdered people, who has callously killed people in Africa and killed people at sea. Grace reaches down and takes a man like John Newton and makes a saint. You say, aren't there some people, Pastor, do you believe that Adolf Hitler was beyond hope? No. Do you believe that Lenin was beyond hope? No. Do you believe they died without grace? Yes, but it wasn't because they were without hope. There is always hope as long as you're breathing a breath. Pastor AJ texted me this week. He says, I don't know why, but I just feel so led to pray for Stephen Hawking. And guess who died this last week? I got to tell you, somewhere there was a God in heaven reaching out to give this man who defied God and said there was no God, touching, I wasn't one of them, but Pastor A.J. was, touching somebody like A.J. Fagan, pray and intercede, intercede, pray, offer supplication prayers, pray that God will touch his heart. And he died without faith. Here's what I want you to understand, beloved. There is no one beyond hope. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were, but as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Read that with me. More abundant. One more time. More abundant. 
I'm not mad at the world. When I say it, and I say it passionately, America is not better without God. America's schools are not better without God. America's countryside is not better without God. The world is not better without God. We see the problems increasing. I'm not discouraged and I'm not angry at the world. God is not angry at the men and the women of this world. God has poured his anger out upon sin, upon Jesus Christ at Calvary. He took the wrath for our sin. God so loves this world that God's grace will be more evident and more manifest if the people of God will decide we are invincible as long as we serve God's purposes. If we pray for the lost, if we reach and build relationships with the lost, if we care for the suffering, if we care for the poor, the purposes of God will be fulfilled through people who say, here am I, Lord, send me. And the mark of a man or woman that has seen God is not the man or woman that writes a song. It's not the preacher that writes a sermon. It's not the person that lifts his hand in the church. The mark of the man or the woman that has seen God is like Isaiah, that when he saw the Lord, he said, woe is me, I've seen the Lord. But God in his grace touched him, cleansed him from his sins, and then he heard the heartbeat of God. And the heartbeat of God was not lift your hands to me. The heartbeat of God was not bow before me. The heartbeat of God was not bring me an offering. But the heartbeat of God was who will go for me? Who will go? And Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, he said, here am I, send me. Isaiah was invincible in the grace of of God, and so can you be this morning. Somebody give him a hand of praise today. <laughs> Hallelujah. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. In other words, you can't save yourself, no matter how much good you do, so that none of us can boast about it. Only God saves you and forgives you freely. And then God's grace means my possibilities are unlimited. My possibilities are unlimited. The story of Billy Graham, one of the students in the first service this morning, one of the teenagers came to me and says, Pastor, that was a great sermon this morning. I said, thank you. He said, but it's not as good as Billy Graham's. I said, I'll never be as good as Billy Graham." He's my hero. And I've been reading and collecting all the articles written about Dr. Graham. One of them was written this last week and says, will there be another Billy Graham? And right now, everybody's agreed there's not another Billy Graham on the scene. But that's the wrong question. You see, when the world needs another Billy Graham, God will raise up another Billy Graham. God reached down in a cornfield and touched a boy, a young man who by his own, it wasn't a bad boy, but just a young man that really mocked the very thing that he ended up doing and he gave his heart to Jesus Christ in a tent meeting. He tells a story one time how he looked up in the clouds and he was plowing the field and he looked up in the clouds and it seemed to paint GPTG. And he went to his daddy and he says, Daddy, it says, go preach the gospel. 
His dad looked at him and said, Billy, it's not time. GPTG means go plow that ground. <laughs> it's not time. It's not time. You see, God has a time. And this is your time. This is my time. This is Woodland's time. God has a time. You've got a time. I've got a time. I mean, we all want things to happen on our timetable. And please don't just think I say that. I've lived these words long before I became your pastor. And I would look down at legs and look down at colostomy and have to go through another surgery. So I speak with compassion this morning. You have a time, but don't ever mistake your time for God's time. But don't ever mistake God's time for limited possibilities. I've often asked myself and asked the Lord, Jesus, why did it take so long for you to be born? Couldn't so much of this world's problems have been done away with if you'd have come sooner? And always when I pray, that one phrase keeps coming to mind, in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time. I find myself, ever since I was 16 years old, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. I'm not afraid of death. I'm really not. I'm not afraid to die. I don't want to die. I want to live. I I held a man's hand yesterday while he told me, I don't want to die. And he's dying. I don't want to die because I don't want to leave Becky. I don't want to leave this church. I don't want to leave my children. I want to live. I enjoy living. I enjoy life. But I'm not afraid to die. But I want to see Jesus. I want to be alive when it happens. What Paul described, I want to be alive when that trumpet sounds. I want to be alive when the dead in Christ rise first. I want to be alive when we which are alive shall be caught up in the air to be with the Lord forevermore. I want to witness that moment. I want to be there. I want to see that happen. But if it doesn't happen in my lifetime, it doesn't mean that God's time is not right. God's time is always the best time. And if there's anything I've learned, I will share it with you this morning. Don't put your time schedule on God. That doesn't mean be be irresponsible. That doesn't mean don't plan. But it means if things don't work out according to your plan, don't you ever forget, with God, the possibilities are unlimited. You see, some of us, maybe in this room this morning, you're serving a shrunken God. I've preached in places where they bought out little shrunken heads to show me. That is the grossest thing you'll ever see in your life. I've seen them bring it out, and I remember sitting on an airplane riding back one time, and still the smells and the images of what I saw, and I wrote about shrunken gods. J.B. Phillips wrote a book back in the 50s that says, Your God is too small. I want you to understand something. You serve the great I am. You serve the almighty God. You serve the one that says, if thou canst believe, all things are possible. You serve the one that says, without me, you can do nothing, but with me, all things are possible. You serve the God who created the universe, not just this galaxy we live in, but created the universe. You serve the God that breathed life into you. You serve the God that says to you, if you will trust me, if you will put your faith in me, I will fulfill 
fulfill my purposes in your life. If you will follow me, you will be invincible. And when I'm done with you, I will bring you home. I will not bring you home like a worn out rag. I will not bring you home like a worn out shoe, but I will bring you home spotless without a wrinkle. I will bring you home victoriously. When I die, it may be an emaciated body, but I will be alive in Jesus Christ. I will be more than a conqueror through him who first loved me. That's what grace is. God answers our prayers that we prayed last night and this morning, not because we deserve it, but because of his grace. Stephen, not an apostle. Stephen, not a deacon. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Don't you think it's time that once again we see signs and wonders working through the people of God? Not being weird, but when we pray for people, we see their needs met. God's grace is how I grow in knowing God. The more I rely upon his grace, the more I'm going to learn. Second Peter chapter three and verse eight says, you must grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think we all ought to be able to say, we talked about this when we did just walk across the room. We all ought to be able to say, I am not what I used to be. Amen? Say it with me. I am not what I used to be. The second thing we need to be able to say, we talked about this and just walk across the room, I am what I am today by the grace of God. Amen? Say that with me. I am what I am today by the grace of God. And that's not pride. That's not, you know, egotism. Humility is not saying, I'm no good, I'm worthless, I can't do anything. You're lying about God. You've got talents. You've got skills. You've got spiritual gifts. You've got resources. You are what you are because of the grace of God. You're not what you are because you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. If you're a self-made man, you look like Frankenstein. But if you've been born again, you're starting to look like Jesus Christ. Come on, victory. Hallelujah. If you've been born again, you're starting to look like Jesus. And then the final thing that we can say this morning, by the grace of God, I will be like him when I see him. Beloved, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we shall see him, we shall be like him. Let's give him a hand of praise this morning. And finally this morning, God's grace makes me an overcomer. I don't know what you're facing this morning. Actually, for some of you, I do. You've shared with me. You've emailed me. I'm praying with you. You may be going through a financial problem. You may be going through a marriage problem. You may be going through a health problem. You may be going through some problems with your children. But I want you to listen to me. God's grace is sufficient. And you will be invincible as long as you follow God. You will be indestructible as long as you follow God. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. God says, come to me, all you who are weary. You're heavy laden. You're burdened down with the cares of this life. I will teach you the easy rhythms of living and walking in grace. God says, come to my throne. Come to my throne of grace where you will find mercy and help in time of your need. 
I know you're facing some huge problems. But just as I said to you this morning, because I want you to know, I understand when things don't happen on your time schedule. I understand what it feels like to feel impotent and helpless. I understand what it's like to bury my head in my daddy's chest and say, Daddy, I don't want to live anymore. I don't want to do this again. I understand what it's like when people stand at your bed and say, there's no more hope. Not once, not twice, but several times. But I understand that God's time is always right. And I know whereof I believe today. God's grace will make you more than an overcomer. I want you to look at 2 Chronicles 23 with me because this just stood out to me. In the seventh year of Athaliah's reign, now the number seven is significant in the Bible. Seven is the number of, we call it the number of God. People who study this, seven days, seven spirits of God, the Bible talks about. And that's not seven different, but the wisdom and knowledge. In the seventh year, Jehoiada, now this happened during Athaliah's reign. This is when he saves Joash. Things were tough. Athaliah was wicked. His wife was wicked. And things are tough right now. And this is a kind of a topsy-turvy world we're living in right now. We're so occupied talking about stuff that really doesn't matter right now that we're forgetting all the big issues of the world. We've got young men and young women that are fighting our wars while America gobbles up the latest story of the president's past. We've got young men and women fighting our wars and we've got young men and women as missionaries giving their lives literally for the gospel of Jesus Christ today while America as Congress dabbles over should a baby's life be spared when it can feel pain. In the seventh year of Athaliah's reign when things were hard and things were wicked Jehoiada, the pastor, the priest decided to act and today I'm asking you to decide to trust God's grace I'm asking you to decide this morning to trust God and summon up your courage it takes courage to trust the Lord I remember the first time I went repelling it was a group of army rangers teaching me how to repel and I thought it was going to be a piece of cake until I had to lean out over a negative, which means you couldn't see the cliff. All you could see was straight down the side of the mountain. And the video they took, you could see my back end going over the mountain and coming back, coming back. That rope wasn't tight. You had to get like this before that rope tightened up. Everything in me screamed, no. 
I'm getting weak need talking to you about it, just remembering that moment. Now I can do it, no problem. But I'll never forget this young army ranger captain looking in my face and saying to me, Pastor, because I had taught these guys, what did God say to you this morning? I don't know if that's what God said to me or not, but the first thing that came out of my mouth was, I can do all things through Christ Jesus, which strengtheneth me. He says, put your butt over the cliff. And it held. You may feel like you're going to fall, but your faith will hold if it's anchored in Jesus Christ. Your faith will hold if it's anchored in Jesus Christ. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. I don't know what you need to do, but I know where you need to begin. And that's trust God's grace. So if you've never wholeheartedly committed your life to Jesus Christ, I'm asking you this morning, think seriously. Is your life better without God? Has grace taught your heart to fear? Has grace taught you this morning there's more to this life? And do you recognize that like me, one day we're all going to stand before the Lord? It's not a question of whether you're good enough. If it was about goodness, I'd have busted hell open a long time ago. If it was about goodness, I have no right to be here. But that cross to my left and to your right just simply says, God in His grace chose to save all who would believe and put their faith in Him. So I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me right now. Just pray it quietly, but pray it sincerely to the Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you and I'm so thankful for your free grace I'm that weak and needy man or woman I need you to pick me up to cleanse me from my sin I need you to carry me through this life and show me what your purposes are for me because I want to be that overcomer. I want to live that life where the possibilities are unlimited. And Lord, I want to be a beacon of hope to all who know me. So as much as I know how, I confess my sins and I turn to follow you. In Jesus' name. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. No one looking around. But you prayed that prayer this morning. Would you witness to me and say, yes, I prayed with you. I'm committing my life to Jesus. God bless you. God bless you. Somebody else said, Pastor, I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ today. Hold it up. Well, let's give the Lord a hand of praise for these who prayed. But I I want you to keep your heads bowed. Now, I want to speak to the rest of you this morning. Heaven's rejoicing over these who gave their lives to Christ. But let me talk to you this morning. Do you know you're invincible? 
Do you know until God's finished with you, you're indestructible? Are you living far short of the peace and the joy and the provision that God has for you? And God sent me here today to talk to you about His amazing grace. Don't give up. Don't turn away from the Lord. But if you're one that you you need, you say to me, Pastor, I needed this message this morning. Would you hold up your hand while nobody's looking around all over the building? I needed this message. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. You can put it down. Almost every hand in this room was raised today. Now, Father, I ask you, as I walk through this growth work, real quickly with everybody, would you just speak peace in our hearts? You've got this, Lord. You've got this. You've got them in the palm of your hand. You've got the situation in your hand. I've been, I was young once and now I'm old, Lord, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. Lord, I was crippled once, but now I'm whole because you are the God who heals. Lord, I didn't know what to do with my life. I, I thought it was to study law and raise cattle, but you, Lord, gave me a purpose that was so far beyond anything I dreamed of. Father, we know, Becky and I, what knows what it's like to want children and not be able to have them. God, you are the God of miracles, like Maggie's saying this morning. Pierce our hearts with that truth. Pierce our hearts with that truth in the name of Jesus. Now tell God what you need. You lifted your hand. If it's purpose, if it's provision, if it's healing, if it's health, if it's a, whatever the problem, tell Him what you need. And ask Him to help you this morning and to give you a new confidence. And I'm going to ask you to do this one more time. When you've prayed that, lift up your hand and say, Pastor, I've just prayed it. You don't have to make a long prayer. Again, just pray it. Say yes, yes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you, sir. Just pray it. You've prayed it, lift up your hand. Hold it up. Hold it up high. Amen. God bless you. Now, here's three things I want to tell you real quickly. Number one, look at your growth work. I want you to stop fearing failure. If I feared failure, I'd never write another sermon. I've already preached 27 times this year. If I feared failure, there's no way you can write 27 separate messages in this brief a span time. It doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. If you're not making mistakes, you're not living, right? If you're not making mistakes, you're not trying hard enough. You're playing it too safe. So stop fearing failure. Indeed, the Bible says we all make many mistakes. Number two, never give up. Don't you dare get, if you feel like giving up, call us. Let us pray for you. We are hard pressed on every side by troubles. We are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Can you say, come on, victory this morning? That's the word of the Lord for your life. And then finally, hard times should never make me a hard person. Hard times should never make me a hard man. 
Hard times, if I'll let them, will make me a more godly man, make you a more godly woman. I don't want to get bitter as I would get older. I want to get better. I don't drink wine, so I don't know how to really interpret this. But I was listening to someone talk this week, and they says, wine gets better with age. That may be true. I want to tell you something. You don't have to get bitter as you get older. You can get better. I'm telling you, there is grace beyond what you can imagine. Can you say amen? Well, let's give him one more hand of praise this morning. Ushers, come on down. Lord, I don't think this is wrong to pray, but God, this has been such a joy to preach this word this morning. And I thank you. I thank you for this message of hope and grace. And I pray now that as we bring our tithes and offerings, I pray for the day, Lord, when every single person at Woodland will find it a joy and a delight to give. No longer just a, a duty or a discipline, but a joy and a delight to give. And I pray that you will pour back into their lives, pressed down, shaken together, and running over without measure. I pray for those who need jobs this morning. Lord, there's several people in this room that I know need employment. I'm asking you to supernaturally provide for them, but in the fullness of time, open the door for the job they need and the place you want them where they can be the most fruitful. God, I'm asking you to put them in a place not only where they earn a living, but God, where they're able to be a blessing to all that are around them. I pray for those of us, Lord Jesus, that God, you have blessed us. I pray that we will take our blessings and not be consumptive with them, but we'll be willing to share and to bless others as we give. I ask all of this in the name of him who saved us from our sins, Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you as you give this morning.